The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. Calls are pre-screened and the show was pre-recorded earlier this week. Rick is with Edelman Financial Engines, a part of Financial Engines Advisors, LLC, and the investment advisor that furnishes this program. Barron's ranks financial advisory firms based on assets managed, team size, experience, and regulatory record. Firms self-nominate. Investment returns and experience are not considered. Advisors in the Hall of Fame have been in the top 100 for 10 plus years. Future performance is not guaranteed. This is the Rick Edelman Show. Barron's ranks Edelman Financial Engines, the number one independent investment advisor in the country. And Rick is in the Barron's Financial Advisor Hall of Fame. Now, here's Rick Edelman. Welcome to the Rick Edelman Show. I'm happy to have you with me here this weekend. We've got a lot of news to cover for you with big impact on your personal finances. Consumer prices, let's start there. A huge jump. Prices surged 4.2% in April. That's the biggest one-year rise since 2008. And you know the mess we were in in 2008. Prices are rising across the board. Even used cars, a 10% increase in the average price of a used car over a year ago. The average price is now $25,000. This is the first time the average price of used cars has been that high. And the average price of a new car is up as well, 7% from a year ago to almost $38,000. Used car sales have skyrocketed, up 60% from a year ago, partly because new cars are so expensive, partly because it's hard to find a new car because of the shortage due to the chip shortage that's affecting the automobile industry. You go to buying a car these days, you'll find 18% fewer cars on dealer lots. It's not just cars that are higher in price, so are food prices, up 2.5% from a year ago. Buying food at a restaurant is even worse. Prices are up almost 4%. And if you want to rent a car or truck, well, those prices are up almost 10%, as are airline fares. Price increases just keep on coming. Corn prices are up 100%. Apples are up 10%. Lumber is up 400%. Copper prices hit a record high this week. Oil's at the highest price since 2018. So are soybeans, the highest since 2012. Everything from meat to dishwashing products, all up double-digit percentages from a year ago. And all the big companies are announcing price increases. Procter & Gamble, Kimberly-Clark, General Mills, Westinghouse, they're all raising prices on freezers, dishwashers, Kellogg's Frosted Flakes, Cheez-Its, Pringles, Pampers, Tampax, Scott Toilet Paper, Huggies and Pull-Ups, Cheerios. Consumer prices are up dramatically We need to recognize that this problem is not going to go away anytime soon. It's quite likely we'll see the rate of growth ease off a little bit. In other words, I don't think we're going to continue to see 4% increases month over month over month over month. But we do have to acknowledge that as the economy recovers from the pandemic and the economy gets back into gear, we're likely to see price increases. You need to take that into consideration as you make commitments today with your money. What am I talking about? Well, you might buy that new vehicle today, but if gas prices are going to be higher in the future and stay higher, the cost of operating that vehicle will be more than it was in the past couple of years. Have you taken that into consideration? If you're buying a new home, you're going to spend money on decorating and landscaping and so on, and what you spend on furniture and lawn stuff could be much more expensive this summer 
than it was last summer. You need to take all of this into consideration. And while inflation is up, interest rates remain down. And this is vexing investors across the board. A lot of folks looking for yield and not finding it in ordinary bank accounts and CDs and even U.S. Treasuries. Those are paying zero point nothing. So investors are looking elsewhere for higher yielding investments. And some investors looking really hard have found them. Bonds that are paying 9%. Are you sure you want to buy them? They are issued by the governments in Uzbekistan and Tanzania. Go to Ghana, you can get 11% yields. You're dealing with significant risks when you go after yield chasing. So while you might say, hey, what's the problem? These are government-guaranteed bonds. Well, how stable are those governments? How stable are those countries' economies? And you're also dealing with foreign currency exchange rate risk, meaning you've got to convert your dollars into their local currencies. What happens there? So before you decide to go for these high-yielding bonds, make sure that you realize the greater the reward always translates to the greater risk. And I do have to say that uh, I think I'm probably done here doing this radio show for the simple reason. Uh, it's embarrassing. I don't even know how to begin. Uh, it's, it's just I'm kind of beside myself. I've made a big mistake, and uh, I, I have to fess up to it because I'm just shocked. I'm beside myself. I'm a little befuddled. And it has to do with something I told you a year ago on this radio show. You might recall when the pandemic was... I'll say in full bloom, it might be an inappropriate phrasing of it. Uh, I don't mean to make light of the severity and horror that we've all experienced the past year. But as we all recall, at about this time last year, after the stock market had fallen 35% in value, and everybody was wondering what's coming next, will the markets recover? How quickly will we get past the pandemic? And on and on and on. We saw devastation in corporate America as many companies were struggling mightily with the shutdowns that occurred, most immediately in the travel and hospitality industries, right? Because as people stayed home, they stopped going to restaurants, they stopped traveling, no more airfare, no more going to hotels, forget about renting cars. And it's the renting cars part that I want to emphasize. Hertz, you'll recall, filed for bankruptcy last year. And it was one of many corporate crises that we saw experience. The the cruise industry as a whole went through a lot of crises. Disney had a big mess with the shutdown of its theme parks. You know, this was just, I don't have to revisit the history for you. You know all too well what we all went through. Hertz, though, in its filing of bankruptcy, came up with a reorganization plan. And they said, we're going to issue a new set of stock. That will give us a new bunch of money that we can use to pay off our creditors and save us from bankruptcy. Well, I went on the radio here and said, that's the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard. You don't raise money by selling stock in the middle of a bankruptcy. And in fact, the SEC then came out and quashed the whole idea. Because when you're in bankruptcy, it means that you owe more money to your creditors than you have to pay them. And so the court says, all right, we're going to divvy up your assets. We're going to give the creditors as much of the money that we can manage to give them. 
So the lenders get repaid, usually pennies on the dollar, but at least they get some of their money back. But the stockholders get zero. That's how it works in bankruptcy, even when a company emerges from bankruptcy. Remember when General Motors, after the last crisis a dozen years ago, when companies come out of a crisis, the shareholders get wiped out. That's the risk you take as a shareholder. You might make big profits if they make a lot of money, but if they go broke, you lose it all. And so I said, this is crazy for Hertz to do a stock offering. So, okay, the stock offering was dead, but you know what happened next? Individual investors, most of them young, inexperienced, never before investing, saw the fact that Hertz's stock, while in bankruptcy court, was trading for 50 cents a share. And they said, golly gee, I'm going to buy the stock. Because when it comes out of bankruptcy and regains its business benefits once the pandemic's over, the stock will do well again. And I went on the radio and said, that's insane. That's ridiculous. These people don't understand. The reason the stock is trading for 50 cents is because it is, in fact, near worthless. And when they do emerge from bankruptcy, they're going to emerge with a totally new equity capitalization and the old stock will have no value. The people who are paying 50 cents a share thinking they're getting a bargain are actually throwing their money away. I said this, and frankly, so did everybody else on Wall Street, because that's what happens in bankruptcy. Well, here we are a year later. Guess what? Hertz has, in fact, emerged from bankruptcy, not because of the court, but because the court permitted Hertz to sell itself to a new array of institutional investors. Private equity firms have bought the company, and by buying the company, they are paying off the old shareholders. And guess how much money they're getting? As much as $8 a share. Well, you say we try that one again, huh? <laughs> it's amazing. These idiots who paid 50 cents a share a year ago are now being able to sell for 8 bucks. So who's the idiot, really? This is, I think, the most egregious example, the most extreme example of my being completely, totally, and unequivocally dead wrong. I never, I've never seen such a thing. I've been doing this for 36 years. I've been hosting this radio show for nearly 30 years. I have been counseling tens of thousands of people. I've given seminars to millions of people between my TV shows, radio shows, and seminars and webinars over the decades. I have never experienced, seen anything like this. And I don't think anybody else has either. Is it possible that the rules of investing are changing, that the environment is totally new and different, that this time doesn't replicate all the old times? I don't know. I don't get it. All I can tell you is, last year I told you not to buy shares of Hertz while they were in bankruptcy, and here we are a year later. These folks are enjoying massive gains of 1,600%. Sorry about that. Are you some kind of moron? You're a moron. Bungly moron. Moron. You moron. Don't make moron. We got a moron here. Is that it? the publisher of the newsletter Inside Personal Finance coming up on the Rick Edelman show.
Welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show. This past week, I spoke at a roundtable on the future of retirement at the Milken Institute, a closed event of about uh, 40 leading experts in medicine, academia, corporate, as well as a lot of folks in the field of retirement security. A lot of astonishingly alarming statistics were presented at the event. Only half of Americans 50 years of age or older have $100,000 or more. Only half. The bottom 50% of the country has a median savings balance of zero. Half of this nation has no money saved at all. And if you're wondering whether or not you ought to be sending your kids to college, of those who drop out of high school, their health is worse at age 40 than the health of college grads at age 70. So going to college, getting a better education is not merely good for your wealth, it's good for your health as well. I was very excited to be able to present at this roundtable for this illustrious group, which included former members of Congress and former secretaries of various cabinet uh, positions and, and other luminaries. I had the opportunity to present my proposal on eliminating poverty in retirement for all future generations of Americans. My proposal, RISE, Retirement Income Security for Everyone. You can learn more about that at wecanrise.com. And we were also talking extensively about the Funding Our Future Coalition, which I founded along with the Bipartisan Policy Center, and you can learn more about that at fundingourfuture.us. Related to this conference on uh, the future of retirement, I got an email from one of our listeners who was upset with the ad we were running about Social Security. She said that we were giving the government an idea to cut your Social Security benefits, and she said I should stop doing that. Well, I'm sorry to have scared her, but I think she's missing the point, and it was directly on point to the conference that I was just participating in at the Milken Institute on the future of retirement. The ad she's referring to is an ad that we ran here at Edelman Financial Engines. You may have heard it. Uh, and it pertains to what's coming in the world of Social Security. Let me play an excerpt of that ad so you can see what she was upset about. Are you counting on Social Security for your retirement income? Well, according to the Bipartisan Policy Center, Social Security benefits could be cut up to 25% by the year 2029. If your benefits are cut, do you have a backup plan? If you don't, call 888 Plan Rick right now. This is not a filing strategy discussion. It's a top-to-bottom review of your finances, including how Social Security fits into your overall retirement income and what you can do now if your benefits are reduced when you need them most. Call us at 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-PLAN-RICK. So, yeah, that does sound a little scary, doesn't it? But her point was, you're putting ideas into Congress's head. Don't talk about it because it's scary. I'm afraid she's missing the point, and perhaps you may be as well. I've been talking about this issue of Social Security for years here on this program, and it is why I went to the trouble of creating the Funding Our Future Coalition. We need to understand what is actually the facts. The facts are the following. Under current law, if Congress takes no action, if everything stays exactly the way that it is, Social Security retirement benefits are going to be reduced about 25% in as little as eight years. This is the law. 
And this has nothing to do with my trying to scare anybody. It has nothing to do with fear-mongering. It has nothing to do with planting ideas into Congress's head. If any idea is going to be planted, it's to get Congress to do something about it and fix it. We need to understand how Social Security works. It's really very simple. Everybody who's working pays taxes into Social Security. Social Security Administration takes that money and distributes it to America's retirees. So the money you pay into the system doesn't go for your benefit. It goes for your parents' and grandparents' benefit, those already retired. The generations behind you, your children and grandchildren, their Social Security taxes will pay for your benefit. This is not a pay-as-you-go system. This is current workers paying for current retirees. But at the moment, there are more retirees receiving more benefits than are being paid into the system by American workers. That's a shortfall. Well, where is the Social Security Administration getting the money to make up the difference? If they're paying out more in benefits than they're collecting in taxes, where are they getting the extra money? From the Social Security Trust Fund. You see, for decades, American workers were paying more into the system than the system needed to pay out in benefits. But now there are so many more retirees living so much longer and relatively fewer Americans working, we aren't collecting enough in taxes anymore to pay all the benefits. So the Social Security Administration is tapping into the trust fund. And at the current pace, that trust fund will be depleted by 2029, according to the Bipartisan Policy Center. When that happens, no more trust fund, then the only money that retirees can get is the money being collected from taxes. And that's about 25% less than the current Social Security benefits. You need to understand this. A, so you can tell your representatives in Congress to fix it, and B, so that you can plan your personal finances and the assumption that Congress doesn't fix it. If you're entirely dependent on Social Security for your retirement income, you are at risk of a 25% cut of your income in as little as eight years. That is why we're encouraging you to come talk to us. Engage with us now on your retirement planning so that you don't have a crisis when Social Security benefits get cut eight years from now. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not so sure how confident I am that Congress is going to fix it. For the moment, they're not even talking about it. How can they fix something they're not even talking about? So, we're not trying to scare you with this ad. We're trying to inform you and warn you so that you can take action before it's too late. I don't know how many other financial advisors are going to the trouble of talking about these major policy issues affecting the country as a whole, because let's face it, a lot of rich people who have a lot of assets and income don't really care about Social Security very much. It's not a big part of their money. But for lower-income Americans, lower-income retirees who are entirely or almost entirely dependent on Social Security, this is a real crisis. And oh, by the way, for those rich folks who say they don't care because they have plenty of other assets and income, Guess what happens when Congress does decide to deal with this? They're going to raise taxes. And who are they going to raise the taxes on? The people with all that assets and income. In other words, we're all in this together. And that's why we're raising the issue, bringing it to everybody's attention so that you can deal with it. Because the sooner we deal with it, the easier it is to resolve. And that's why we talk about it. So no, I'm not trying to scare you, my dear. I'm not trying to put ideas into Congress's head, at least not any ideas we don't want them to have. 
Instead, we're recognizing this is a huge issue facing America. It's getting worse as time goes on, and we need to address it. That's the focus of my work with the Funding Our Future Coalition. It's the basis of my solution for retirement income security for everyone, and it was a big part of the focus at the Roundtable on the Future of Retirement at the Milken Institute this past week. One thing I can promise you, I will continue to be working on this issue for years to come until we, in fact, provide financial security for all Americans. You're listening to The Rick Edelman Show. I'd like to bring you some of the latest advances in the field of exponential technologies. This one from the American Crossword Puzzle Tournament. It was held last week. A thousand participants, all trying to be the fastest to complete a crossword puzzle. The winner was artificial intelligence. Yes, a new software computer program has defeated all the human contestants. Computers have already defeated humans at checkers, backgammon, chess, the game Go, poker, and Jeopardy. Now, computers are best at crossword puzzles. And DARPA, the military defense agency focusing on developments and innovation, has developed a new form of artificial intelligence that can detect sarcasm. It's called the Computational Simulation of Online Social Behavior, and it allows the U.S. military to know whether the Russians are serious or not when they say they're going to nuke us. You're listening to The Rick Edelman Show. 888-PLAN-RICK, rickedelman.com. The author of the New York Times bestseller, The Truth About Money, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to The Rick Edelman Show. Our birth rate declined last year, it declined 4%. We can't blame it entirely on the pandemic. It's the sixth year in a row that we've produced fewer babies than normal. This is all due to shifting demographics. Our population is now expanding at the lowest rate since the 18th century. The drop of births is contributing to the aging of the population because people are living longer than ever, and we aren't producing as many babies as in the past. In fact, 25 states last year, half of them, had more people dying than being born. This has long-term implications on the economy and on investments. For example, if you don't have a whole lot of babies, you don't have a whole lot of need for diapers. You don't have a whole lot of need for baby carriages. You don't have a whole lot of need for car seats. You don't have a whole lot of need for schools, right? Lower demand, as evidenced by fewer consumers using those services, means you're going to have businesses really shifting. And overall, it means that the U.S. population is growing at the slowest pace since the 1930s. We're up about 7.5% since 2010. Why is the population growing if the number of births is declining? Immigration. But immigration is down as well. So you've got immigration declining along with the birth rate, while life expectancies are continuing to grow. The 65-plus age group is now growing faster than the 5-plus age group. The biggest shrinkage, West Virginia. Their population fell 3.2% in the past 10 years. The median age in West Virginia is the same as Florida, 
everybody compares Florida. That's where old people go, right? And I think it's a law. If you live in New York, you got to retire in Florida. Uh, West Virginia's median age is 43. The national average is 38. The state's population is projected to continue shrinking. California, on the other hand, had a 6.1% gain. They added 2.5 million people. But other states gained even more. So what? Well, it means that California lost a seat in Congress because they divvy up the seats based on state populations. There are seven states that lost a seat in Congress. Illinois, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and again, West Virginia. New York, in fact was 89 people short of keeping the seat that it lost. So when those census folks go carrying around counting numbers with their clipboard, yeah, that really does matter. 89 people short for keeping a seat in New York. There are six states that gained congressional seats, Colorado, Florida, Montana, North Carolina, Oregon, and Texas. That's where people are moving to, as opposed to the states that people are moving from. The fastest growth in the country, it's in the South and the West. That's where people are moving to. Utah had the biggest population increase in the last 10 years, 18% increase. In 12 states, including Texas, Florida, Arizona, New Mexico, and Nevada, half of the gains in population are Hispanic people. And this change in demography, meaning the number of people being born and the population growth in the country, this is not a phenomenon limited to the United States where we've had a reduction in the number of babies being born. China has experienced the same thing. They've just experienced the first decline in their population in 60 years. At the rate this is occurring, India may soon have the world's largest population. Well, with so many old people and so few young people, comparatively speaking, would you think that we're seeing a change in age discrimination in the workplace? No, we're not. There continues to be bias against older workers. New research released from Texas A&M found a new angle to this. The bias of ageism applies primarily to white workers. For black workers, they say, it's actually even worse. Age discrimination hits black workers at all ages, not just as they're nearing retirement. It hits them when they're young and middle age as well. This data matches data from the Department of Labor, which finds that black workers are less likely to be hired than white workers when they have the same experience regardless of their age. This gives white workers a head start when they're young in their careers, and it reduces the lifetime earnings of black workers. The result? The average white family in America has eight times more wealth than the average black family. And according to the research, employers assume that white workers come from a more privileged background. So when a middle-aged white worker applies for an entry-level job, the employer thinks there's something wrong with them. But they have lower expectations for black people, according to the research. So when a black person of the same age applies for the same job, they say, oh, that figures, so we'll hire him or her. And so blacks are more likely to get lower-paid jobs, and they're more likely to be denied higher-paid jobs. Economists at the University of Pennsylvania found similar results. They gave employers hypothetical resumes for jobs in science and technology. The employers rated white men higher than women and higher than minorities, even when they had identical resumes. Harvard found something similar. They found that employers are more likely to hire a white man with a felony conviction than a black man with no criminal record. In other words, according to this research, the penalty for being black 
is more than the penalty for being an ex-con. I'll let you figure all this out. And then we have a continuing trend in the area that I have talked about with you about the age of the rise of the corporate state and the demise of the political state. There was a full-page ad in USA Today recently. The headline screamed, We Stand for Democracy. This was an ad that it was expressing its opposition to the new voting law in the state of Georgia. This ad was not merely signed by political activists. This ad was signed by dozens of major corporations. I'll just rattle off for you the names of those you'd recognize. Accenture, AIG, Airbnb, Alphabet, Amazon, American Airlines, American Express, Apple, Bank of America, Best Buy, BlackRock, Cisco, Dell, Deloitte, Discover, Estee Lauder, Ernst & Young, Facebook, Ford, General Motors, Goldman Sachs, IBM, Johnson & Johnson, Jazz Lincoln Center, JetBlue, Levi Strauss, Live Nation, Lyft, M&T Bank, MasterCard, Merck, Microsoft, Netflix, Nordstrom, PayPal, Peloton, Pinterest, PwC, Reddit, REI, Salesforce, Sonos, Square, Starbucks, Steelcase, Sweetgreen, SurveyMonkey, T. Rowe Price, Target, TripAdvisor, Twitter, Under Armour, United Airlines, Vanguard, Viacom CBS, Warburg Pincus, and Wells Fargo. All of these companies paying money to announce in a full-page ad in newspapers around the country that they oppose a law that went into place regarding voting rights. Is this something that corporations would have done 50 years ago? Would they have done it five years ago? This is an illustration, as I've been talking with you frequently here on this show over recent months, of the rise of political activism by America's leading corporations. Let me give you an illustration of how this has manifested itself. There's a mutual fund company called the Timothy Plans. Timothy Plan mutual funds have canceled their hospitality suite at the Globe Life Field in Arlington, Texas. The mutual fund company had bought 60 tickets for board members to attend a recent Astros Rangers game. And the reason they decided to cancel their hospitality suite was because Major League Baseball decided to move the All-Star game out of Atlanta to punish Georgia for the new election law. So focus on this. Major League Baseball makes a decision about the All-Star game in response to the Georgia voting law. Major League Baseball, a baseball organization, making a political decision. Another company reacts to Major League Baseball's decision. Here's what Timothy Plan said in their press release, quote, Major League Baseball's embrace of lies and cancel culture forced our hand. We stand with Georgia and its new election law and against corporate bullies. Well, wait a minute. Timothy Plan is complaining that Major League Baseball engaged in the cancel culture. So what did Timothy Plan do? They engaged in the cancel culture. <laughs> Everybody's being a corporate bully. We need to recognize the fact that this is going on in very great ways. And as you decide as a consumer 
that you are going to patronize one business or another because you like or don't like their products. Now you have to decide if you're going to patronize a company because you like or don't like their political positions. And from the long roster of names that I cited for you, I think you're going to discover that it's extraordinarily difficult to refuse to do business with a company because of their political views because so many companies are expressing so many views. It's quite a conundrum, and I suspect it's only going to get more extreme. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About Money. information on what you need to do now go to rickedelman.com that's rickedelman.com let's take a phone call here on the rick edelman show head off to farmington valley connecticut talking with wayne how you doing wayne welcome to the show thanks for having me rick last year you talked about a controversial loophole that allowed many rich people to go on Medicaid while protecting their assets for their spouse and family and becoming wards of the state, essentially. Yes. So many of your competitors think it's stealing from the government. And my question is, if the loophole is still available, where is it found in the IRS code? Well, the IRS code doesn't mention loopholes. That's the whole point of a loophole. A loophole is an omission in the code. You know, if you see uh, a law that says no left turn permitted, a loophole would be that you're allowed to make a right turn. But the tax code isn't going to say that. The tax code is going to talk about what you can't do by making left turns. So you're not going to find a reference in the tax code that identifies a loophole. The point that you're really describing, let me describe for everybody what what we're talking about here, is not in the Internal Revenue Code itself because it's not got anything to do with income taxes. This has to do with Medicaid, and it has to do with the rules regarding Medicaid, which is a federally funded program but a state-administered program, and it is the states that have these prohibitions. And the prohibition is fostered by something called a five-year look-back period. When you incur the costs of long-term care, this is very expensive. The average cost nationally is $100,000 a year, about $8,000 a month. It can be more in urban areas. New York City, it's well over $120,000 a year. And this cost is not covered by Medicare, nor is it covered by your health insurance, because long-term care is not a medically related issue. Long-term care is essentially room and board. It's a nursing home. It's, it's paying for a bed and it's paying for meals. Those are not medical expenses. If you need a nurse to provide you services in a home care setting to help you get out of bed or transfer to a chair, help you get dressed, help you eat, help you deal with toileting, that's not medical. That's lifestyle. So Medicare doesn't pay and neither does your health insurance. And that means you're going to spend your own money to pay for your long-term care until you run out of money. So what do poor people do? They don't have any money to pay for their care. What do they do? Well, that's where Medicaid comes in. Medicaid is the federal health program for the poor. So if you're wealthy, you're going to spend down your wealth until you're poor, at which point you qualify for Medicaid. 
a lot of wealthy people say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to spend all my money on, on my care. I want my money to go to my kids. So what they do is they give all their money to their kids right away. As soon as they start to decline in health, they transfer their wealth to their spouses. In some cases, they get divorced because Medicaid can't go after the assets of a divorcee. So they, they divorce. They give the money to the ex-wife or ex-husband. They give the money to the children. That makes them poor qualifying for Medicaid. Well, that is a loophole making yourself poor by what's called asset shifting. Well, the states are now onto that trick, and they now have established a look-back period that says if you file for Medicaid, Medicaid is not only going to look at how much money you have, they're going to look at how much money you had over the past five years. And if you've had money in the last five years, then they're going to deny your claim as though you had that money today. In an effort to close this loophole and prevent people from engaging in asset shifting. Does that clarify it for you, Wayne? Most definitely. Thank you. You're very welcome. I'm glad you called with that question. And you should do what Wayne did. If anything I say on the air strikes you as confusing or you don't quite get it, call us at 888-PLAN-RICK anytime you like or visit at rickedelman.com. Time now for everybody's favorite segment of the program, a visit by my wife, Jean Edelman. Jean, uh, co-founder, of course, here at Edelman Financial Engines and a degree in consumer economics and nutrition, expert in macrobiotic cooking. Here's her weekly visit. Hello, everyone. Always a great joy to share with you. This week, I wanted to talk about perspective, and I wanted to share a personal experience, which is always a great teacher for myself and hopefully share it with others. The other day, I was out with our dog, Hoshi, and we're still in training. She's only been with us a few months, and and we have a a fenced-in area that I always bring her to before and after we finish our walks, just in case she needs to do anything before she comes in. And so this one particular day, we were out in our smaller run area, and a group of people walked by with their dogs, which is always nice. And Hoshi saw them, and she went over to say hello. She's quite something. She doesn't bark. (laughs) She just kind of goes over and wags her tail. And so as she's standing there wagging her tail, I hear them say, oh, she's all alone. I hate that. At which point I very firmly and loud said, I'm right here. Because what they were judging was that we would leave our little precious dog out in this run area all by herself. And of course, we didn't do that. Well, they backpedaled and said said how cute Hoshi was, and they quickly walked on. But my point of the story is that these people that were walking past our home were so quick to judge They didn't even lift their heads enough to look around and see if I was there or, or whatever, you know, but they were just quick to judge. And I feel like it's a great illustration and a good little story for all of us, because you know what, we've been isolated for so long and we've been in these bubbles. And I feel like sometimes our, our thinking has become a bit rigid and we have become very stuck in our opinions and our judgments. And now that we're getting back out into the world, maybe our filters aren't what they were, or we feel that we can just say whatever we're thinking, whether it is right or not. All these people had to do was look up and see me standing there. And, you know, I was ready to say hello, right as they were passing judgment upon us. 
So I just want us to look and pay attention. You know, we're stepping out again. Maybe somebody's wearing a mask. Maybe someone isn't. And we should be very kind and not pass judgment. So my word this week is perspective, because I think if these people had had a little bit of perspective, they wouldn't have said what they said. They would have said hello to me, and we probably would have had a very nice conversation. So the P is for pause. We should look around. We should think. We should ask questions, and we should try to get the whole story. E is for easygoing. Why aggravate others? Let's try to understand that we each have our journey and we each have our issues. And my issues are not yours and yours are not mine. And we need to understand that. It has not been an easy 14 months or so. And so we need to be easygoing. R is for respect. We need to respect each other. We've all had a hard time. And don't think that everything, as we start opening up, it's going to be as it was. We just have to have a little bit of patience with all of that. S is for space. Let's give each other some space. (laughs) We are still processing all of this. And we are trying to move back into what will be our new life. P is for peace. Why create stress? Let's have understanding and tolerance. That would make a much better world. E is for empathy. What makes us any better or smarter or whatever from the next person? Nothing. We're all the same. We're all human beings, and we should have empathy for each other. The C is for compassion. We should have compassion for each other. The T is for tolerance. We need to have more tolerance. The I is for influential. You know, we have an opportunity every day to make a positive difference, to be a positive role model. And that's what we should be thinking about every day. V is for valuable. We all have value. We're all important and we're all precious. And the E is for equal. We all went through this pandemic. We have all had struggles and we need to open our eyes with kindness and understanding As the world opens, it will go more smoothly if we are kind, if we do not judge, and we practice kindness. I hope you all have a wonderful week. And before you say something, look around. (laughs) It might be a very, very different picture. Have a great week. Gene is so sweet. If I was there, I would have let Hoshi loose. I'm Rick Edelman. Thanks for joining me on the program. I'll see you next week. If you've got questions about any aspect of your personal finances, call us at 888-PLAN-RICK or visit us online at ricedelman.com. Get the truth about money every weekend on The Rick Edelman Show. 